Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. This morning, our, um, our, our college minister, Donnie De La Cruz, is in uh, Greenbrier. He's preaching up there. Our executive pastor, David Rainey, uh, spent the week at doctor school, all right? So he's becoming a doctor of theology or ministry or something like that. And so since he was doing all of that coursework, Donnie was going to preach for him up in Greenbrier. And it reminded me of uh, the time that Donnie came to tour uh, Conway. I was showing him around Conway. We were driving around and I was showing him all the normal stuff. Went out to Sam's. This is where you buy gas. Uh, Went over to Target. This is where you buy everything else. And then uh, we're driving around and showing them the universities, the colleges, where to eat. At one point, I stopped mid-conversation. Does that ever happen to you? You're driving around and maybe you have a thought like, I haven't actually thought about driving in like 20 minutes. You're You're just on autopilot. That's what I was doing. I was on autopilot. And I stopped and I, re- I realized that where I was on Donaghy, there was construction equipment everywhere. In fact, there was no Donaghy. It had been excavated and I'm in the middle of just dirt. And there's construction equipment and trucks and just piles of asphalt. And so I just stopped right there in the middle of what used to be Donaghy. And I look over at Donnie and I said, this doesn't look right. And he said, he said, yeah, dude, you drove around a barrier back there, <laughs> but you were just talking. So I don't, I didn't stop you. You know, it just looked like you knew where you were going. And, and I didn't, but thankfully I, I didn't go through any wet semen. I didn't like drive into a hole or anything like that. It just, I just drove where they were redoing Donaghy. And, and you know, that happens sometimes. Uh, it happens in our lives. It happens in all sorts of settings, right? where you just get caught up doing what you're doing and you end up ignoring warning signs or, or, or instruction or don't go this way. You get all caught up and sometimes, sadly, it ends up in a bad place, right? And you think to yourself, if I could just go back, if I could go back and, and you know, heed the warning, if I could go back and change, if I could go back and listen, then it would make all the difference in the world. If I could go back and listen to my parents about my education or my career, then maybe I wouldn't have wasted those years. If I could go back and and listen to the instructions about my my health and my diet, then I wouldn't need this procedure. I I wouldn't need to lose so much weight. If I could go back and and listen to my body in the middle of that conversation where where it started to get heated, where I started to get mad, where I started to say too much or to be too blunt, if I could just go back and, and heed the warning signs, then things would have gone better. In Jeremiah 36, there's this story about a guy who in his ignorance and his arrogance doesn't listen to the word of God. He doesn't listen to the warnings of God and he ends up paying for it. It's a basic idea. It's a basic question that you and I need to ask ourselves. Are we ignoring the word of God? Let's pray and then we'll look at Jeremiah chapter 36. God, thank you for the rain. And thank you for the word. Thank you for scripture. Both of them, God, I pray that we would recognize as as common grace, a gift from you to all people, 
to the righteous, the unrighteous, the good, the bad. These gifts that we so very often take for granted, that we complain about, that we ignore. God, I, I pray today that we would walk out into the rain, thankful for the gift that you have given us, that we would repent where we have ignored you, that we would recognize you as our authority, and then, God, that we would reorganize our lives around what is clearly the teachings of Scripture. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So Jeremiah 36, that's where you're going to be. Let me give you some context before we read some of the verses in this chapter. Jeremiah has spent most of his prophetic career explaining to the people by God's instruction that there was going to be this enemy that comes in from the north and attacks them, ransacks Jerusalem, overturns their government, that sort of stuff. And so what has recently happened in history is that the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar, has come in from the north, crossed the Fertile Crescent there, and attacked from the north. Jerusalem, for several years now, has become a vassal or an underservant to Egypt. And Egypt and Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, got into a fight, a war, just north of Jerusalem or just north of Israel. And Egypt lost, okay? So what happens right before this takes uh, place, this text here, is that the, the big brother, the protector Egypt of Israel has fallen to the enemy just north of town, all right? So in the midst of that, Jeremiah's been saying, somebody's gonna come from the north, they're going to attack us and they're going to win. And now there is an enemy just north of them. So Jeremiah 36 really has, well, it has what I would call five scenes. But really, we're going to break it into three scenes. And the first one has three movements in it. All right? so I'm just going to summarize a lot of this to you and read some of it. The first scene takes place in chapter 36, 1 through 18. Okay, That's going to be the, the section there. And what happens in this section is God tells Jeremiah, you know all that stuff you've been saying about Jerusalem? Take a scroll and write it down. So he does. And then Jeremiah tells his scribe. So he's got this guy that writes everything down for him. His name Baruch. He tells Baruch, take this stuff, take the stuff that we wrote down, go to Israel and, and, and preach it at the Temple Mount. Jeremiah is not allowed to preach at the Temple Mount at this point because Every time he preaches, he preaches against the king and the king doesn't like that, so he kicked him out. So he's not allowed to preach up there at this point. So Baruch goes and reads Jeremiah's message. There's an official there, a guy that works for the king, and he hears the message and says, man, we've got to, you've got to tell everybody else. So he gets Baruch, takes him to the officials, and they read the message to the officials. That's scene one, okay? Three movements in that, but that is scene one. What I want to focus on is on verse three and verse seven. So if you have your Bible, uh, look at that right there. Verse three says, perhaps when the house of Judah hears about all the disaster I am planning to bring to them. Pause right there. So God says, write all that stuff down and let them know. This is why he wants it written down. Maybe, perhaps, when the house of Judah, the people of Judah, hear about the disaster, the enemy from the north, I am planning to bring on them, each one of them will turn from his evil way, then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I'll forgive them, and they won't have to deal with the consequences. Verse 7, it's essentially the same thing. Perhaps their petition will come before the Lord and each one will turn from the evil way and the anger and fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people are intense. Here's essentially what's going on. The, the point I want to make, it's foundational to our understanding this morning, is that 
God wrote his message down and delivered it through the prophets and the preachers in order to be a warning message. This is the heartbeat behind the Bible. This is the heartbeat behind God's message for his people. A lot of times we read it and we think that God is raining on our parade, that he doesn't want us to have fun, that, he, that he's trying to rope us into a, a lesser life. And the reality is that God wants you to live the life that you were created to live, to have the people and the community that you were created to have. And he wants to warn you that living a life apart from God leads in hardship and heartache and pain and death and discomfort. So God is warning. This is a message of hope. This is a message that is good for you. It is a message that is good for these people. Twice, God says, make sure that you warn them. Make sure that you let them know. It's like that barrier that I drove around. Make sure that they know that past this, it's not good. Past this, it's going to be hardship. Past this, it's going to be pain. That's the message that Jeremiah is trying to communicate to the people. And let me tell you this, that is the same message that God is communicating to you that God is communicating to you and to us, to all of us, that God still wants to warn you of the consequences, that God still wants to show you the right life to live, that God's message is still about that same heartbeat. This is the life that you are supposed to live. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord does not delay his promise. What's his promise? His promise is that Jesus Christ is physically returning. He's gonna return to judge the living and the dead. And if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, then, then you will spend eternity in hell. If you do put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you will spend eternity in heaven. You will walk in this life with Jesus. He's not delaying that promise like some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is the heartbeat behind the Bible. Hey, listen, there's a warning. Live your life according to God's way and it goes well with you. Don't, and it doesn't go good. That's the warning. That's the heartbeat behind God's word. So when you hear that, when you see that sort of warning, then you would, we would all assume there's an obvious way that you respond to that, right? Somebody warns you, you listen to the warning. But you can probably also guess that that's not what's going to happen in this text. The next scene happens in verses 19 through 26. 19 through 26. So here's what's going on. And then I'll read a verse to you. The officials hear the message from Baruch. And they think to themselves... The king needs to hear this. We're about to be attacked. The prophet of God is telling us we're about to be attacked. So we need to go tell the king. So before they go tell the king, they hide the prophets, right? Because kings don't like when they hear bad news. So they hide the prophets. They take the scroll, the, the parchment, the, the thing that has the message. They take that and keep it in a safe place. And then they go tell the king. The king then tells his assistant, his little henchman, his name's Jehuda. He tells Jehuda that he needs to go get the scroll, bring it back and read it to him. So that's what's happening. Look at verse 23. As soon as Jehuda would read three or four columns, Jehoiakim, that's the king, would cut the scroll with a scribe's knife and throw the columns into the fire in the hearth until the entire scroll was consumed by the fire in the hearth. So this reminds me, so I don't watch... Yeah, there's, um, there's a genre of movies. I see this on Netflix. I don't watch these um, because it just, 
it's not anything I'm interested in, but like Viking movies, y'all ever, does anybody, you like that stuff? Like I more watch Western stuff, but um, there's these Vikings. And, and it seems to me just from watching the preview of this stuff that it's always the same storyline essentially. That there's like this big mean king, right? And he's attacking something and somebody who's weaker and smaller is gonna overthrow. It's, it's a gospel narrative. Anyway, there's this big mean king. And I picture this scene that way. This big, gnarly, evil-looking guy, you know? He's got like a face tattoo and a big fur coat. I don't know why he has that, but it's in the wintertime and there's a fire going and then there's this like little uh, henchman next to him and he's always bald and short and all that. I don't know why they always pick on bald guys, but he's always bald and, and he's got a little rat face and he talks like this and he really likes the king, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's reading the scroll, you know, to his master, that sort of stuff. And then the big, gnarly, evil king that everybody's afraid of as he's reading the scroll. So he would have unrolled it like this and read this way, opposite the way we read. So he's reading opposite the way we read. And as he's reading these columns, he gets to about three columns and the big gnarly king takes a a knife, a blade, and cuts it in his hands. He just cuts it down the middle there. And then he takes that piece and throws it into the fire. That's the scene that's going on in this. It's it's wintertime. You can see their breath. The smoke is filling the room. All that sort of stuff is going on in this text right here. What an arrogant thing to do. What an amazingly, when you see that in the movie, you know, oh, that guy's going to die by the end of this movie, right? Anybody that thinks that they are that strong, anybody that thinks that they are that brave, that they would take the words of God or in, in, you know, in the movie, it doesn't even have to be the words of God. It's just anybody who takes the, the message or the warning and is that arrogant to say, I don't have to listen to this. I'm the king. I don't have to listen to things I don't want to listen to. I run this place. Nobody says things I don't like to hear. So if you say something I don't like to hear, then I'll just burn it. I'll just burn it. And it really, really drives us towards this question is what, did, what does he think is going to happen by ignoring the word of God? By burning the word of God, what do you think he thinks is about to happen? Literally nothing. He's not afraid of God. He's not afraid of the warning. He doesn't have to listen to anyone. That's the sort of... Um, Can you see that arrogance? Can you see that bravado? Can you see that foolishness from this earthly strength? When you know, anytime you watch that movie, anytime you read this story, that guy's gonna die. You know that that's going to happen. But it's not just that guy that that scripture really focuses in on. It's not just him. If you read the very next verse, there's this other picture that says, um, there's the, the, the people standing in the wings, the people standing just off to the side. It's not just that big fur coat, face tattoo king and the, and the little bald guy. It's also all of these well-dressed advisors and all of these well-dressed officers and, and people and servants to the king that are standing there just in the shadow, just past the fire's glow. And none of them do anything. None of them say anything. Jeremiah 36, verse 24 says, and as they heard all these words, the king and all his servants did not become terrified or tear their clothes. In the Old Testament, the idea of ripping your clothes was an idea of repentance. It's like you hear the warning and you are essentially saying, oh God, please no. Please protect us. Please save us from ourselves. But none of them did anything. There's this real emphasis. There's this real countercultural idea that there are evil people who do evil things and they are wrong when they do it. But to stand by and silently watch other people do things that are wrong, thinking 
that you are going to be free from the consequences, that you are excused from the liability, is wrong. You need to speak up. See, oftentimes, even in our own culture, and in this culture as well, there's this idea that so long as I don't actually participate, so long as I'm not actually involved, I'm not the one who did X, Y, Z. So long as I'm not there, then I'm not guilty for anything. I'm not liable for anything. I'm not responsible for anything that happens. And yet, you know, experience, logic, and scripture would teach you that's just not true. If you have a voice and a perspective and you can say something, say something. That's the reality. We often justify it by thinking, but even if I do speak, I'll just be one. Even if I do speak, I'll be the only one and nothing's going to change. If I'm the only one to say something, then nothing's going to change. They're not going to change their actions. They're not going to treat other people well. They're not going to stop doing what they're doing. If I'm just the only one to say these things, then it's not going to make any sort of difference. Listen, you let the difference be handled by God. You just take care of the responsibilities you're going to take care of. It takes one person to stop things. It takes one person to speak up. You ever been betrayed or stabbed in the back or you ever found out that there's a group of people talking about you, that sort of stuff? Hurts, right? And then you find out that there was one person in the group that said, hey, stop. This ain't right. That's not the way that we're going to speak. Doesn't that change the entire thing, right? You think it's not going to stop anything. It stops a lot. It stops a lot. It's all sorts of experiences, all sorts of examples throughout our history in which you wonder, you think to yourself, why didn't one person just stand up and say enough, right? Be that person. Verse 31 says, and makes it extremely clear that these servants, these officials that stood by and said nothing, that did nothing, they were held accountable. They were held accountable just as the king was held accountable. Bonhoeffer once said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Y'all know who Bonhoeffer is? He was a pastor in Germany during Hitler's reign. He said something and he ended up losing his life. So as he stands there watching this fire burn, as this big evil king stands there watching the fire burn, as silent um, cowards stand there in the shadows, what do you think God does? God has spoken. He's not only ignored it, he's defied it. What do you think God does? And he like burns with rage. He gets mad. Or do you think he like... He stumbles, oh man, I don't know what to do now. That guy's kind of intimidating. What do you think God does? God doesn't even miss a beat. Look at verse 27. After the king had burned the scroll and the words of Baruch had written to Jeremiah, uh, that Jeremiah had dictated. So that's what Jeremiah told him to write. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, this is what he says. Get another scroll. Isn't that cool? God says, oh, he burned my scroll? Get another scroll. And once again, write on it the original words that were, that were on the original scroll. That King Jehoiakim of Judah burned. Get another scroll and write down exactly what I had told you to write down before. You are to proclaim concerning the King Jehoiakim of Judah. This is what I want you to tell Jehoiakim. This is what the Lord says. You have burned the scroll. If you skip down to verse 30, therefore... This is what the Lord says concerning King Jehoiakim of Judah. He will have no one sit on David's throne and his corpse will be thrown out and exposed to the heat 
of day and the frost of night. Verse 31, this is what I was talking about a minute. And I will punish him, his descendants, and his officers for their iniquity. See, ignoring God does not silence him. Ignoring what he says for us to do does not negate his power and his strength and what he said to do. God's word still stands. This is something that Jehoiakim should have known. The scriptures has already said this. Isaiah verse 40 or chapter 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is a really, really basic message. And if you've grown up in church or maybe you're new to church, this is something that we believe. This is something that we agree with. It's something that you have to settle within your own heart. God's word is true. Scripture is the authority. And ignoring it does not silence it. Pretending like it doesn't apply to you does not mean you won't reap the consequences. It is true. The Bible is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 says, all scripture is inspired, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There is no other way of saying it. God's word is eternal and at the same time it is relevant to the now. We build our lives around it. We understand it. We apply it, knowing it, regardless of what it looks like, God is in charge. That's the story. That's what happens in Jeremiah chapter 36. You have God's word spoken and written and the arrogance and ignorance defies it, but God's word still stands. That's the narrative. So then the question is for you and I to do a little self-reflection. We look at King Jehoiakim and we ask ourselves, do we ignore God's word like that? I'd bet everything I have that none of you have taken a Bible and ripped out pages or cut out pages and, and thrown it into a fire. You wouldn't do that. Even if you're, you're, you're with us today and you're kind of hanging out with us, you're not really a Christian, you're not following Jesus, you wouldn't even do that, right? You're like, I don't believe all that stuff, but I am not cutting anything out of this one, right? You don't do it because we respect it, right? But then the question is this, do in other ways we ignore God's word? Are we somehow regularly ignoring God's, how do we ignore God's word? Why do we ignore God's word? What should we do? Well, how do we ignore God's word? I think there's a couple of, of scenarios that we do. We, we ignore God's word passively. We ignore God's word passively. Like most of you have a Bible. If you have a smart device, you have access to the scriptures. Then the question is, if you don't read your Bible, are you ignoring your Bible? And, and hear me, I am never, ever intending to heap guilt on you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am not trying to make you feel bad about it. I'm just trying to get you to think about it. I'm, I'm trying to think about it myself. If I don't read the scriptures, am I ignoring them in the same way that Jehoiakim is ignoring them? Would it be any different for me to just cut pages out and burn it? If you have the Bible, but don't read it, are you ignoring? If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I got some. I bought some this week. I've got some new ones. I will give it to you. I, want, I, want it. I bought them to give them to you, all right? So if you don't have a Bible, don't feel any shame in that. Last week we gave several away. If you want one, 
It's the same one that I'm reading. If you want one, then come by. I'd love to give that to you. What better place than at church? Preacher gave me a Bible. That's, that's a neat thing, right? So come do that. We ignore the Bible because we don't read it. We ignore scripture because we, we forsake going to church. It's like the main thing we do here, right? We get together, somebody explains it, it's helpful, it helps us grow. You know, right now, according to surveys, that the faithful Christians are people who go to church twice a month, two out of four or five weeks. That's faithful. So again, I'm not, I mean, I know you got like, you got vacations, you got things that come up, all that sort of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you just don't care, in some way, are you ignoring scripture? The other one is you're not in a small group. We get into small groups, we, we invest in one another, we learn what the scriptures say, and then we apply it to our lives. Super simple. All of that, like five hours a week. Not a big deal. But if we're not doing those easy, basic things to the word that is spoken, to the word that is written, are we ignoring the text? We ignore it in passive ways like that, just by not participating. We ignore it in active ways. These are just the things that came off the top of my head. Here's the things that the Bible says that you know it says. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. When's the last time anyone described you as slow to speak? Right? Never. Right? Slow to wrath, anger. The Bible clearly says, love your enemies. Is that what we're known as? Is that what we do? The Bible clearly says, forgive one another. Don't gossip. All this kind of, we know the things that it says, and we all agree that not only is that what Scripture says, but also it's probably a pretty good idea. And we don't do it. We ignore Scripture passively. What I'm saying is, when we look in the mirror, when you stand there and you look in that full-length mirror and you look at the way that you live your life, are you any different than the fur coat, face tattoo king standing in the middle of ancient Israel? Are you just as defiantly ignoring the Bible? Why? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, the first one, we ignore the Bible for a couple of reasons. The one is because we've lifted up other authorities in our lives. One is our heart. You know, follow your heart. That's the dumbest advice ever, right? And I'm not saying that just because it sounds dumb, which it does. I'm saying that because experientially, how many times has your heart led you in a bad direction, right? All the time, all the time, tons of times. Remember in seventh grade, you were gonna marry that girl, all right? You didn't. I mean, like maybe one of you did, but all the time our heart is leading us in some direction. You know that this is what you want. You know that this is what you want. You, and then later on you look back and go, man, I'm glad I didn't do that. Your heart is a bad leader. Don't do that. So sometimes we lift our own heart and our own mind up to this authoritative position, a counter to the word of God. The Bible says this, but my heart tells me that. Well, tell your heart, shut up. All right, you go this direction. So we either listen to our heart or, or we follow someone else's heart. Like social media influencers or the media or, 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 or just rumors or the way that people are talking. This is what everybody's doing. I don't care what everybody else is doing, right? Why, if you know your own heart has led you astray and you like you, then why would you listen to somebody else who doesn't even know you? We lift up these other authorities in our lives. And here, listen. If we were to weigh out, this is how much I'm on social media. And I'm on there like you guys. I'm on social media. This is how much I'm on social media and this is how much I read the Bible. Which one would tip? Probably. So I'm just asking, curiosity, what would it look like if they were at least even? 
if we at least listen to scripture as much as we listen to the opinions of other people? What would it look like if it tipped the other way? So we do that. Um, we have these different authorities. And the other thing that we have is that we don't understand it. Look, so I have, I have degrees in that, right? And I'm telling you, the reason that I stand up here and explain this is not because I have degrees in it or because I have, it's not like every Monday morning, there's this light that shines down from heaven, like the sword and the stone. And, and it's like, whoa, this is what you're going to say, right? That's not how this works. The only reason that I can stand up and explain this stuff is because I spent the week studying it. My point is, you can do that. We can do that. If, if there are parts of the Bible that don't make immediate sense to you, that's, that's fine. That's how everybody is. There is no one in this room that just reads every, just memorize it all, knows all, oh, I can explain all that. You have to study it. It was written in a different language to a people a long time ago in a culture that you're not. So it takes some time to study it. Now, basically, by the Holy Spirit's guidance, when you follow Jesus, you can understand the vast majority of it. You can apply it to your lives, but don't get hung up in the small parts where you're like, I just don't, it says words I don't get. It's talking about stuff I don't understand. Well, that's fine. What I would say is, don't let that be a reason not to study it. Let that be a reason that you do invest in it. I've been married for 17, almost 18 years, and I don't understand a thing she does. It doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. I don't understand why time doesn't work the same for her. You know, she says she's gonna be home at this point. You just add an hour and a half, all right? She's just not coming home at that point, right? I don't understand that. Her, our fights, the majority of mine and Jackie's fights have to do with what she thinks is humor, okay? But it's not, it's not funny. I don't think it's funny. I don't know why she keeps saying stuff like that, you know? And she said, well, that was me being funny. And later on, I'm like, oh, you know, still not funny. You know, that sort of thing. She doesn't think I'm funny. I don't think she's funny. And you can see how sometimes that's going to cross some wires. But it doesn't make me like, I don't understand this girl. So walk away. I'm going to tell you, the more that I get to know her, the more that I love. The more that I just figure out how to think like she's thinking, the better it is. The word of God is profoundly better than that. Study it. And if you need some help, I've got three ideas. Read it, go to church, and get in a small group. Super simple. Five hours a week. So these are the things that we've done. This is why we do this. We don't understand it. We have different authorities. So what should we do? Well, it's pretty simple. Repent, recognize, and reorganize. You got to start with a place where you say, look, it's not right. I've been living my life in a with a different authority. It's, it, I shouldn't have done that. This is the authority and I'm gonna start living my life this way. God, I repent when I hold the opinions of my peer group up higher than your opinion. God, I repent when I hold the opinions of what everybody else is doing up higher than your opinion. God, I repent when I think my heart and my mind and my own 40 years of experience is gonna outlast the ancient of days. I repent of that. So you start by saying it's wrong, and then you recognize what is truth. This is the authority. When I am different than this, I change, not that. When I don't understand this, I learn. That doesn't have to learn. I orient my life, my romantic relationships, my goals, my dreams, my identity, my worth, all of that's in here. And it is true what it says about me, not what others say. I repent, I recognize, and then I reorganize. My life now is based on that couple of weeks ago, 
the, the Clausens, uh, a family in our church. If you haven't met them, you need to meet them. They're super sweet. They, they told our, uh, our, me, they said, you should come over to our house. It's on Lake Conway and you and the boys should fish which is, sounded cool. So we made like a family night out of it, all right? And she invited us over and we were gonna have all this great time. They have a little pier that goes out into Lake Conway and we were gonna fish. This is, and she's super sweet. Listen, this is the text. I wrote it down. This is the text that she said later on. She said, lemonade is in the refrigerator. Any text that starts that way is awesome, right? So lemonade is in the refrigerator if you want some. Also bug spray and the salt gun are on the table. If you get satisfaction out of killing flies. LOL. Extra salt in the kitchen by the stove. From that moment on, me and the boys thought of nothing else but that salt gun. Y'all know what a salt gun is? You load salt into it, uh, you load it, you know, and then you can shoot salt out of it and kill flies or bugs or shoot other people. And so (laughs) me and my sons are extremely interested in this. I've wanted one, but they're kind of pricey. So now I get to play with one and I didn't have to buy it. And so we are excited about this. We've been talking about this a couple of days where we're gonna, we're gonna go play with that salt gun and fish, of course, but we're gonna play with that salt gun. So we go over there to the house and I started fishing and the boys were running around um, shooting each other with that gun, but they, they really didn't get each other because they were far enough. It doesn't shoot very far at all. And at some point, you know, you just had a, your limit as a dad. So I'm fishing, Haddon has started fishing by this time. He's my oldest. And my youngest, Amos, has the gun loaded and he's just loitering around Haddon, all right? And if you're a younger brother, you know what he's doing. If you're an older brother, you know what he's doing. And Haddon kept saying, stop, put that, go over there, go over there, that kind of stuff, stop it. I'm not playing anymore, this sort of stuff. And finally, I had had enough with the bickering, not really the, the imminent threat of danger. I was just, it's just the bickering. And so I said, Amos, cut it out. Listen, it's a life lesson. If you mess with people who are bigger than you, you're gonna get hurt. That's, that's how this works, okay? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything, right? And he's just holding a loaded gun pointed at his brother going, I don't know why he's upset. <laughs> it just kept happening and happening. So finally I got enough. I took that gun and I shot Amos with it right there. <laughs> just, just close, I told him, you mess with people bigger, you get hurt. Reality consequence, all right? So he, he started crying and got all upset about it. It hurts, all this stuff. And I was like, whatever, it doesn't hurt. Look, it hurts bad. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. It was everything in me go, see, it don't hurt, right? I I had this like strawberry bruise thing there for like three days. I was like, see, there's no blood, you're fine. Go stand over there, you know, that kind of thing. It's consequences, truth, reality, they work. It does not matter if you ignore God, the consequences are still the consequences. Ignoring God does not silence him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.